Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I have with me a very, very accomplished leader, uh, a futurist from uh, the northern, northwest part of America in California, April Rinney. April, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. Thank you. April is a futurist. Uh, she's the founder and author of Flux, and you can see the book behind her on her, on her right. Uh, Eight Powers for Thriving in Constant Change. She's been named amongst the 50 leading female futurists in the world. She's a change navigator. And most importantly, she was recognized as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum. Uh, April, I'm so delighted to have you. Let's start a conversation on futurists. So for our viewers and listeners, tell me what is a futurist or who is a futurist? Yeah, super. Well, thank you again. And I'm delighted to dive into conversation together. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. You know, the term futurism and what is a futurist? If we go back even 10 years, certainly mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it didn't really, I mean, it existed as a concept. It existed as a, as a discipline writ large, mm -hmm. but the word futurist wasn't on most people's cards or, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't really a role that was widely seen. And mm -hmm. today it's still fairly emergent, but it's much more, um, it's getting to be better known and you can actually do degrees in futurism and mm -hmm. futurist studies and so mm -hmm. forth. And that simply wasn't possible. And so I didn't set out to be a futurist. Mm -hmm. I set out as somebody who was very curious about a lot of different things and never was interested in becoming an expert in just A or B, but mm -hmm. like what's in between A or B, A and B? What happens when you apply A to C mm -hmm. and D and E? You, you know, the interdisciplinariness of, of all of this. And so I have a, a background in quite a few different disciplines, law mm -hmm. and finance and global development, et cetera. And, and over time, mm -hmm. what started happening is I was paying attention and focusing on those things that go beyond, if you will, this quarter's returns. Mm -hmm. They go beyond a particular function in an organization. Mm -hmm. But I was being asked to advise companies and governments and for-profit, non-profit around the world mm -hmm. on where is the future heading mm -hmm. and how do we fit into it? And as, as one client would say to me, you're spending time thinking about all of those things that we know are really important to our business. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't have time to look at them because we're so focused on what's happening today and Correct. putting out this fire or that fire. Mm -hmm. And even if we were looking at them, we wouldn't know where to start mm -hmm. to learn. And so it, it was a sort of outside in process by which other people started saying, you're a futurist. And I was like, well, I think I'm a lawyer and I'm an investor and I'm these other mm -hmm. things, but the future forward lens or framing is what makes futurism a discipline. It's what allows me to do what I do, but I'm really pulling on a lot of different threads mm -hmm. and disciplines and sectors, et cetera, in any given day to weave a fabric of, again, where is the world heading writ large? Mm -hmm. And how do we individually, organizationally, collectively fit into it? So one way I do always like to sort of put out there in the world of futurism, a pandemic was not a surprise. Okay. We knew if you're mapping out where's the future possibly heading, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know that a pandemic is not only possible, Mm -hmm. it's probable at some point in human history. We Mm -hmm. just don't know exactly when or exactly how bad it will be, Mm -hmm. but we know it's coming. And so that shifts, you know, doesn't make it easier necessarily to go through it, Mm -hmm. but that's what a futurist would look at. Also things like climate change, also things like inequalities, some of these systemic shifts and forces. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also get into some of the day-to-day. Fascinating. So you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that there are, you can now train to become a futurist. Uh, yes. T- t- mm-hmm. Tell me a little more about this. Well, it's still pretty niche, um, mm-hmm. but there are a range of specialized programs, mm-hmm. usually like masters of futures studies or learning how to forecast or do foresight. Um, And they are in universities or graduate schools. It's always at the graduate level, as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Um, In the US, in Europe, um, not at, it's funny, they're not at like the universities that are, I suppose, most internationally known. Mm -hmm. But some of these universities, some of these schools are developing really rich communities and fields Mm -hmm. of study, always interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. And so if you just, you can Google futurist studies and you'll Mm -hmm. find a a smattering, which to me is really exciting as a marker. Mm -hmm. Um, You also do have organizations though. The one that I always like to call out first and foremost is what's called Institute for the Future. Mm -hmm. So this is a futurist think tank basically. Mm -hmm. And it's based in Palo Alto, California. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is it's called IFTF. That's its Mm -hmm. acronym. Mm -hmm. IFTF has been around since the 1950s. Okay. Now, that's extraordinary because that was happening before Silicon Valley was the Silicon Valley we know of it as. And that was when another piece just of history. For a long time, I think futurism was thought of as almost like philosophy Mm -hmm. or very academic Mm -hmm. of like a futurist would write like a science fiction novel Mm, kind of mm, thing, right? mm. That has changed a lot over the last 20 years in particular, in which futurism can now be very much related to here and now and the issues we face and the steps we need to take, particularly as businesses and policymakers. Mm. Um, But again, IFTF, I think of as a good training ground Mm. for futurists. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I was reading about you, April, uh, it was very interesting to read that you see trends early, understand their potential and help others do the same. Can you help me understand uh, with maybe an example or an anecdote, something you saw early? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it feels like I think when you're going through the ability, seeing trends early, Hmm. when you start noticing them, you often feel like you're the odd person out. You're seeing something that other people don't. You're given a lot of flack for it. People say, that's not happening. I don't believe Hmm. that. Hmm. And then you look, and then a trend does happen. And I'll I'll come back to that in just a minute. Mm -hmm. But now, as I look back over my career, I've lived long enough. I'm, you know, getting enough gray hairs that Hmm. I go, wow, that that is my track record Hmm. of seeing a trend, riding it through. But then what's interesting, the moment that thing becomes mainstream, Mm. I'm much less interested in it. I'm on to like, well, what's the next thing that's coming? So a couple examples that I can offer up, but the most, one of the more recent ones is this concept. And again, go back 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. this concept of the sharing economy. Mm -hmm. So business models that are based on access rather than ownership to a range of um, products, services, skills, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So today we can think about 
companies like Airbnb or Lyft. We could have a debate. Mm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to include Uber in this necessarily. Um, We can come back to that. Mm. But you think also about talent sharing platforms in Mm -hmm. which you're tapping into somebody for a fractional portion of their time. Mm. We're looking at um, car sharing, ride sharing, office space sharing, Mm. um, electronic sharing. Mm. Uh, India is chock-a-block with sharing economy platforms. Every country on the planet has the sharing economy. So go back 10 years. And I'm looking at this at the time, a little bit more than 10 years Mm -hmm. um, now, more like 13, 14 years, Mm -hmm. but I'm working also in global development and I'm working on financial inclusion and how do we create businesses that are more sustainable and inclusive Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. do we help people earn income in new ways? And I notice the power of a sharing economy model Mm -hmm. in which it's a new way to earn income. It's a new way to save money. Mm-hmm. It's a new way to use resources more sustainably. Mm-hmm. It's a new way to create social capital when done well. Mm-hmm. All of these things. And I'm like, we need to, the sharing economy is a thing. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was told that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's foolish. That's something that only hippies would do. Mm-hmm. This is never going to work. You know, all of that. And including going to Davos and the World Economic Forum and sharing the sharing economy and people saying, you're crazy. This is just never going to work. Yep. Now, fast forward 10 years and we mm-hmm. look at this and we're like, okay. And just as one example of Airbnb, Airbnb is now larger than the five largest hotel chains combined. Correct. 10 years ago, hotels were like, never going to work. And you know, mm-hmm. and I've worked, I work with hotels. I work with Airbnb. I'm working with policymakers. I'm kind of in the middle of that nexus of different stakeholders, mm-hmm. but it's funny. Cause I go back and I'm like, yeah, that, that was definitely seeing something early mm-hmm. when the rest of society for a lot of different reasons, which we can dive into if you want a lot of different reasons, they didn't see it. Mm-hmm. If they saw it, they didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And yet in so many cases, that model, that lens mm-hmm. leapfrogged their business model and yes. left them a little bit behind. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, April, I'm now going to move to your book, uh, mm-hmm. which is Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Tell me about the book and your hypothesis. Sure, I'd be happy to. <laughs> I can talk about Flux all day. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic premise of Flux is that in a world of constant change, mm-hmm. increased uncertainty and an ever faster pace of change, mm-hmm that we need to radically reshape our relationship Mm -hmm. to change Mm -hmm. in order to have a healthy and productive outlook. And now I always have to give the caveat Mm -hmm. that these days people are like, oh my gosh, the world is in flux. Welcome to my life. Wow. Mm -hmm. I did not write this book about 2020 or 2021 or the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, These things are incredible validation and acceleration of some of my ideas. Mm. But I wrote this also, I was writing it long before COVID began Mm. and its import and its message carries far beyond that in Mm. that we are living in a world in which more change is ahead. The future is more uncertain, not more Mm. certain. It's more Mm. unstable, not more stable. And that is not how a lot of our brains and our, um, our expectations and assumptions are set mm-hmm. right now as right. humanity. Hmm. Fascinating. And uh, what is a flux mindset? Yeah. So a flux mindset is one of the central concepts of the book. Mm-hmm. And it is basically the state of mind, the ability to mm-hmm. see all change. So mm-hmm. that's 
quote unquote, good change and bad change. It's expected change and unexpected change, Mm -hmm. but it's especially that really hard change, the kind of change that throws your world upside down, the kind Mm -hmm. of change you really don't want to have happen. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to see all of it as an opportunity to learn and to grow and to improve. Mm -hmm. Another way I'll put it is it's the ability to lean into uncertainty precisely because you're not trying to make it something different. And just as a quick side note here, I like to frame this, like zoom out for a minute. And we, we talk about change like it's one thing, mm-hmm. like it's one, it's one word, change. Change is actually really complicated and really, really messy. Mm. Now I meet people every day who are like, I love change. I'm a change junkie, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, hold on a minute. You love the changes you can opt into. You love change you can control. So a new relationship, a new adventure, a new job, a new car, right? We love those kinds of changes. Mm. But most humans really struggle with change we can't control. Mm. So the kind of change that blindsides you on a Tuesday afternoon, it goes against your expectations, it disrupts your plans, that is flux. And so I haven't met anybody who's like, sure, I love all change. You know, that's what we're getting at. This flux mindset is the ability to see even, and especially those kinds of changes, their windows and openings to see differently, to learn differently, to be, to show up differently Mm. and to try new things. Very interesting. Yeah, you're so right. We all love status quo ante. You know, we don't want to move anywhere because we are so comfortable. But uh, if we're moving on, you know, you also speak about eight superpowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to hear more about these eight superpowers. And can Absolutely. anyone develop these? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, they are for everyone. And I'm jumping to the punchline or I'm stealing a little bit of my later thunder. Uh-huh. Everyone can develop these and it doesn't require anything you don't already have. Okay. It doesn't require any technology. It doesn't require any money you may or may not have. It is all within you, but we need to tap into it. So again, very basically, um, there's this thing, I, I call it the theory of flux, but it's, it's not a heavy handed academic theory. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. my way of explaining the relationship sure. Sure. between these different concepts. And so the first step is to open a flux mindset, mm-hmm. this, this idea that your relationship to change can improve. The second step though, is to use your flux mindset to mm-hmm. unlock the eight flux superpowers. These are the skills and disciplines and sort of how to thrive Mm. in constant change. Mm. Now, each one is a chapter in the book, so it makes it really easy to read and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I can give a quick overview if you'd like, just to- Please do that. Okay, Mm. so um, in the order in which they show up in the book, Mm -hmm. the first one, well, let me give a a caveat. They're a menu, not a syllabus. So Mm. you don't have to do one before two or two before three, you can- You can do just one or all eight. You can do them backwards. Doesn't matter. Mm. Also, though, I want to point out um, they're all counterintuitive in some way. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is many of the superpowers go against the grain of what we've been taught. Mm. They go against their their, their provocative. People go, wait, these make me uncomfortable. This is Mm. not what I was taught to think about change. And what I like to point out is that a lot of what we were taught about the world Mm. assumes that the world is kind of fixed and predictable and controllable by humans. Mm -hmm. Mm. A world in flux is the exact opposite. So it forces us to rethink, what are our superpowers? How do we navigate change? Because Mm -hmm. navigating change is the antithesis Mm -hmm. of doing something predictable or certain or stable. So 
with that backdrop, um, the first superpower is what I call run slower. Mm-hmm. Now, this is all about anxiety and burnout, but also making wiser decisions. Mm-hmm. The second superpower is see what's invisible. Mm-hmm. This is all about identifying both our blind spots, but also new insights, new opportunities, new sources of quote unquote invisible value that's mm-hmm. been there. We've just mm-hmm. been trained not to see it. The third superpower is get lost. Mm -hmm. This is all about um, our relationship to the unknown and how to stretch beyond our comfort zones. Mm -hmm. The fourth is start with trust. This is all about our relationships to one another and how do we navigate change well together? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it all comes down to trust. Mm -hmm. The fifth one is know you're enough. Mm-hmm. This is all about our obsession in modern society with more, 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 mm-hmm. but also our quest for true happiness, mm-hmm. which is not actually found through more, more, more. It's found through enough. Um, the sixth one is unique. It's related to the future of work, and it's what I call create a portfolio career. Mm-hmm. So this is all about how do we design our professional development and our identity in ways that are fit for a future of work in flux. The seventh one, we're almost done. Seventh one is be all the more human. Uh, This is about our relationship to technology and the tension we face in that we're spending ever more time with our devices and yet Mm -hmm. ever less time with one another. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, uh, the eighth flux superpower and one in which a lot of people say to me, whoa, that goes too far. That Mm -hmm. goes way against what I was taught. The last one is what I call let go of the future. And I could reframe it a little bit longer to say, let go of our need, our obsession with predicting and controlling the future. And this is not about giving up or failure or doomsdaying. This is about how do we get out of our own way in order to let better futures emerge. Incredible. So those are the eight. <laughs> Incredible. I just love all these uh, eight. And uh, before I ask you any other questions, uh, I'm assuming this book is available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Um, It's available in all major retailers, also around the world. Um, You also can learn more at fluxmindset.com. It has basically purchase information as well as lots of, you know, a a recap of the eight superpowers. Um, It's also available as an ebook and as an audio book. And for anyone who's enjoying this conversation, I got to narrate the audiobook, so you get to listen to more of me. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. So I, I would urge all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Flux uh, and, and then take your call. I will certainly order one copy today. Thank uh, you. So uh, if you are moving on, my next question relating to Flux is how does culture mm. impact Flux? I mean, you know, there are uh, communities in the world where you just accept what happens. Uh, you know, there are other communities who will fight and, you know, try and make a change. Ash, I love that you bring this up because mm-hmm. probably one of the, if not the favorite thing for me about writing the book mm-hmm. was introducing a whole bunch of different cultural concepts from all over the world mm-hmm. about how we think about change. Mm-hmm. And India features prominently in the book, but so do we, we figured out 30, at least 34 different cultures Mm -hmm. are in the book, Mm -hmm. East and West and North and South, you name it. 
Um, but also just in terms of my, my perspective on flux, um, mm. my whole career, most of my life has been international. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to more than a hundred countries. I've worked in more than 50 countries. Mm. And I bring this up because the book itself was like 25 plus years in the making. Wow. And a lot of that time spent observing and learning and talking to people mm. around the world about how they relate to change. And what I've seen time and again is that every single culture and society on the planet struggles with change in some way. However, every culture has also developed unique concepts, traditions, terms, rituals, traditions around change. And the point is, there's just so much we can learn from one another Mm. if we can connect the dots. So part of what I'm trying to do in the book is connect those dots for others, not with any kind of, there's no judgment, there's no right or wrong, good or bad. It's like, did you know that some people see it this way and look at how this could help all of us mm-hmm. or go over here. Did you try this and that? And so there are lots of different uh, avenues or rabbit holes we could dive into here, like mm-hmm. individual cultures. One of the big ones though, and I just offer this up. Um, as something that is quite consistent and it's more just pause for reflection. Mm-hmm. Big picture, we could think of it as Eastern versus Western cultures. That's mm-hmm. that's a little bit putting things in boxes, mm-hmm. but it does, we could think of it also as the difference between collectivist societies and individualist societies, right? And all else equal, Eastern cultures are a bit more collectivist, Western cultures a little bit more individualistic. Again, I'm not getting into good or bad or right or wrong. Both kinds of cultures have advantages and disadvantages, right? For me, it's always looking at when change hits, what happens? Mm -hmm. Who's better placed? Mm -hmm. And so when change hits, like a really big change, a collectivist society would say, we have to get through this change together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we don't survive well, no individual will thrive. Yeah. An individualist society says if each person takes care of himself or herself themselves mm-hmm. and navigates that change, mm-hmm. together we'll navigate change. So it's a very mm-hmm. subtle yeah. difference, yeah. right? Yeah. And again, not not depending on the kind of change it is, one might work better than the other, right? If it's a change in your household, it's you know, individual, individual solutions, as opposed to having some other force come in and tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. But changes like a pandemic, Mm -hmm. where you everyone you realize the interconnectedness of humanity, Mm -hmm. the collectivist connective tissue Mm -hmm. ends up being extraordinarily helpful. Fascinating. And so I bring that up, because that's one of those things of like, and I always like to encourage people, just think about when you were growing up, What were you taught about change? Mm. Were you taught to fear it or to embrace it? Um, Were you taught, again, this me versus we? Mm. um, How does that serve you today? Because sometimes it can serve you really well in some ways and other times it can actually trip you up. And so that's just one example, though. The cultural piece, honestly, if I could spend a year doing anything, I think right now in relation to the, to the book, I would just travel around the world and interview people about their, their cultural perspectives on change. Incredible. So uh, April, I've got time for one more question and I'm going to go back to your being a futurist and talk about the world of flux. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you taught you uh, as a futurist help organizations navigate the world of flux. Uh, Help me understand this with an example. Oh, goodness. Um, 
So lots of, so when I think, when you think about futurism, Mm -hmm. a fun exercise, you can kind of go through like the future of fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the future of work, the future of learning, Mm. future of travel, the future of cities, Mm. the future of public health, Mm. like go in like, and, and I'm not an expert in public health. I'm not an expert in just travel, Mm -hmm. but I, I know enough about these different areas of different domains. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, how might those forces collide on the horizon? Mm -hmm. And one of the areas that I have done a lot of work on is the future of work. Now, today, it gets a lot of um, oxygen in conversation because of the great resignation and how mm-hmm. talent is shifting around the world. I was working on the future of work 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not new. The great resignation, also kind of like a pandemic. Correct. In the world of futurism, the great resignation was not a big surprise. Mm-hmm. When it was going to happen and what it was going to look like, anyone's best guess. Mm. But if you look at the systems within which we're working and the ways in which individuals are being pressured more and more and companies Mm. are trying to save money and new technologies are disrupting everything, Mm. you could sort of see that there was going to be some turning point Mm -hmm. that was going to massively disrupt, quote, the system. Mm. So here we are with the Great Resignation. So it's funny because I I wrote the book before the Great Resignation, but it actually does show up in chapter six. (laughs) So anyway... Back to the example mm. for an organization, and here you can think of, I've worked with a lot of like HR department, mm-hmm. HR mm-hmm. departments who are mostly they're trying to figure out how do we figure out where the best ta- talent is to hire mm. and how do we help them grow and climb the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here saying that is not the future of work. Mm. The future of work is not just jobs, mm. it's not just climbing a corporate ladder, it's right. not just paying people more. Mm. So I'm saying, have you looked at the rise of remote work? Mm. Have you looked at the rise of, well, until I could say until 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Remote work. I was talking about it back in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at the rise of independent work? And here mm-hmm. I'm not talking only about the gig economy. I'm Correct. talking about Ivy League credentialed professionals saying, I want more flexibility. I'm going to go solo. Have you looked at automation? So mm-hmm. that kind of, are you doing this horizon thinking? Because if you're only focused on hiring mm-hmm. the best university graduates today to put them on a career path, you mm-hmm. are missing the vast majority of what's happening in the workplace. Nice. But also nice. then you link the future of work to, mm-hmm. well, what does that mean for higher education or education in general? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for the future of cities and where people will be living or working if, you know, if remote mm-hmm. work comes mm-hmm. into play, yeah. all of a sudden urban planning changes. What does that mean about the future of travel? Mm-hmm. What does, you know, and so that's one example. So I'm coming into an organization, technically I'm working with HR, mm-hmm. but we are not doing what a, what is in a typical HR director job Correct. profile. Right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Uh, April, on that note, uh, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me at such length about who a futurist is and some of the incredible work you're doing as a futurist. Thank you for talking to me about your book, uh, Flux, The Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. And uh, just before we started recording, you told me that this book is now being translated into 10 new, 10 different languages, I think, around the world. So uh, good luck with uh, the launch of uh, all the new language editions of Flux. And uh, good luck and thank you for everything that you're doing for the world.
Thank you so much. My joy, my pleasure, my honor. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.